Okay, let's see if I can remember how to fucking do this. Hello friends, and welcome to So Poetry, uh, season four, episode who the fuck knows. Uh, I even looked yesterday to see what episode I was up to, uh, but I cannot remember. I think it's episode 10, but um, I, that will be <laughs> research that I will do before I post the episode, uh, as opposed to before I recorded it, which maybe I should have done, but anyway... Uh, yeah, welcome to the first episode of March. Um, I would like to first off apologize for the fact that there will be uh, car sounds. Uh, I'm hoping just the small sort of of them, or I guess the soft of them, and not any uh, motorcycles or anything that are exceptionally loud or any ambulances or fire engines or cops or anything like that. Uh, but my half of my windows are open in the kind of one main room that I have in my apartment uh, because it's in it it's in the 60s right now outside, which is nice for going out and doing stuff and I would like to take advantage of the kind of pleasant weather, but is also kind of disturbing and unsettling uh, in regards to climate change and the fact that it's early March. It's in the 60s, uh, and I checked weather earlier today, and it's going to be in the 60s and 70s this upcoming week. Um, so it's not uh, it's not great. So I don't. It feels weird and kind of cognitive dissonance to uh, be enjoying the symptoms potentially of climate change and being dreading and dreading the uh, I guess the cause of it. Uh, but yeah, I would I would also like to uh, apologize for and express a tremendous amount of gratitude uh, of your patience and the listenership at large uh, for the fact that I have not posted an episode since January, or I guess the day before January. Um, if you've been f- Keeping up with the kind of press side of things that I've been doing, uh, you may have encountered this information already, but uh, I kind of took an unexpected hiatus from most of the things in my life, uh, starting in, uh, I guess, like, towards the end of December. I may have mentioned this in the last uh, last episode, actually. Um, But I was kind of suddenly uh, faced with two very intensive and very time-sensitive layouts that I needed to do for Akinoga Press. Um, And that wound up kind of monopolizing my time until maybe a week or two, maybe two weeks ago. I was finally kind of able to... uh, They both were more or less kind of finished, and I was able to get some breathing room uh, and return to what is more or less normal functionality, although that I've still been... So, I was able to kind of get back to things, and then that required a lot of playing catch-up because there was a lot of things that uh, I had to set aside uh, because I believe I mentioned this in the last episode that um, I'm really shit when it comes to multitasking, especially when it's involved... Uh, when it involves creative things. 
it feels like there are kind of big breaker switches in my in my mind or my brain or whatever this is located inside of me uh that when i'm in a mode that switch is flipped and all the other ones go into the off position because um, it's it's really difficult especially dealing with layouts um that were as intensive as these wound up being um it's really, really difficult for me to kind of raise up out of that or kind of um, to focus or do other things that require different aspects of my creativity when those are kind of the driving forces. Um, but yeah, those are at least done for a little bit and um, I can kind of get back to doing other things that I enjoy, like this podcast. Uh, I would also like to apologize uh, upfront that this is going to be another solo episode. Um, I've have some guests lined up, um, uh, but timing is, is always kind of dicey. Um, so I have like two or three that I have in the works that, um, I think are going to be real fun and I'm looking forward to them. It's just, uh, a little, um, it's taking a little bit of time to kind of nail all of those down. Uh, and I definitely... This may be a little bit behind-the-scenes stuff. I tend to not record things way beforehand. Um, I know that there are... I mean, I, I watch a lot of YouTube, and I know that there are some YouTubers that will record things way in advance. Maybe not way in advance, but, you know, like weeks, maybe a month or so in advance, and slowly, like if they do a, a videos every day, you know, they're not recording the video that day and then posting it. You know, they kind of have record in batches and then edit them and then kind of slowly roll them out so they're always things are being always sort of sort of staggered and they're always sort of ahead of the game um i definitely do not operate like that um my podcasts are usually recorded the day before or the day of uh they when they go up um one of the reasons for that is i tend to not do a lot of editing which if you've listened to the podcast before, I'm sure that you will have recognized uh, and noticed uh, to potentially maybe the, the slight detriment of the podcast overall. Um, but that's actually something that um, might be coming up in uh, later in today's topic. I don't know. I'm, I uh, have not done a whole lot of Usually when I have solo episodes, I, I try to do, you know, like do some internal research and, and note taking and sort of try to pinpoint the things that I that I want to say or have sort of a, a general outline of these are the points that I want to make. Um, and I tried to do it with this particular topic and it, it seemed to resist it a little bit. So this is going to be uh, a significant amount of sort of just extemporaneous speaking. Uh, so I hope that I don't wind through any really long tangents or uh, get in my own way or forget where I'm going because um, I, I kind of have an idea of the things that I want to say but it's it's it w this will be more fluid uh, than I think some of the some of the other episodes which again might work to the slight detriment of uh, of this podcast um, or this particular episode but um, yeah, all of that being said, uh, before I get to the topic at hand, uh, I would like to mention one more thing. Um, I, I don't know if I... I think I made a post about this on Instagram, but I, I will make some more noise about it. Um, so Poetry is now on Spotify. Uh, 
it took it was a process that was a lot um, a lot less arduous than I was expecting. Uh, it really is just kind of filling out some stuff on the the Spotify page specific to podcasters to get your to get your podcast up. Uh, and I did that maybe a month ago or so. Uh, and I was concerned uh, in the days following when I got the notification that it was officially up uh, that I I did some searching for it and I couldn't find it. But I have since search and I've since determined that you can actually find me on there if you I believe if you search so period 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 poetry question mark um, it should come up um, I can I guess I, I probably I'll post a link to the description um, a link to the Spotify page in the description um, but yeah if it's I'm trying to expand uh, a little bit of, of the access to this podcast and just uh, do what I can to, to reach as, as people, as many people as I can. Um, because, I don't know, I, I hope that people enjoy this and I enjoy doing this and just want to get it in front of as many people as possible. Uh, so if you feel like following, up, following this podcast on Spotify, please feel free. Um, if it's easier to listen to it on Spotify than it is on SoundCloud, you know, it's there. I know that Spotify is kind of the, the thing now. It's where it seems where most people, uh, it seems that that's where most people stream their media. Um, if it's not on YouTube or they're not big into YouTube or whatever, but, um, yeah. So it's one more place you can find the podcast. Uh, so I would like to talk about today um, the fact that in the middle of February, uh, I did my very first solo Aerial Silks performance. Um, it's, I wanted to, to I've been meaning to, to talk about this or to do something about um, just, you know, post in some way or get the information out in some way that I did this thing. Um, and I'm not really on Facebook. I mean, I'm on Facebook, but I don't really use it for posting anymore unless it involves um, press stuff. That's really kind of the main reason that I, I use it. I don't think I've posted a status update in... Oh, boy. Um, maybe a year? Maybe half a year? I don't know. It's been a while. Um, I also didn't post on Instagram about it because I don't know I don't know why I didn't um, I, I guess it would have been kind of a hassle to, to um, sort of track down all the photos and the, the videos of it and kind of consolidate them somewhere um, but I was thinking like since it's been uh, not super feasible to get people uh, on the podcast have guests on the podcast kind of uh, in the last month or so, um, that this would be maybe an interesting place to, to kind of, to talk about this. Um, cause I've been, I think I've, I've mentioned this on, on in past episodes, but I would really like to kind of take like a, maybe a small deep dive into, uh, Ariel and what my experience with that has been. And, uh, all culminating in just sort of the process of, you know, the, the performance, because it was, uh, the, started working on it in, 
we'll started. Well, I, I will get to that. So, um, I have been taking aerial silks classes for almost seven years. Um, I want to say that I started in no, around November of 2013. Um, it's, it's weird to think that aside from being in Baltimore, uh, taking aerial classes has been the thing that I have done most consistently since being in Baltimore. Um, like I've lived in a bunch of different apartments. Um, you know, I was in grad school and now I'm no longer in grad school. Um, you know, I've been working since, I guess, working at the cabinet shop for almost as long as I've been doing, uh, the, the taking silk classes. Um, but it, I don't know. It's it's interesting just for to have that experience to know that's like I've been I've been doing a thing like a physical kind of physically challenging thing for close to a decade. That's astounding to me. That's almost almost a third of my life. Um, I guess maybe like a fourth of my life um, ish has been spent doing this thing, uh, <coughs> and. Part of me feels like I should be further along with um, just that my skill level should be should be higher, um, but then I think about the fact that I like choreographed my own routine and performed it, um, and then I think like, okay, yeah, I mean, I feel like my skill level is pretty pretty high to be <laughs> to be able to do that. Um, but anyway, um, getting into starting to take, or I guess starting classes was a, its own weird sort of path. Um, I don't know if I've ever talked about this specifically on the, on the podcast before, but, uh, in 2013, I was in my MFA program, um, and I was working very closely with the book arts teacher at the time. Um, we had just founded a bookmaking uh, I guess like student club or school club and was trying to get more interest trying to drum up more interest of in book arts and, and bookmaking at UB at the school that I was attending um, and one of the uh, projects that we that we decided to take on was an anthology of uh, student writing, which I don't think had ever been done before. I mean, there are a couple of um, literary magazines that that UB has, um, one of which kind of flopped back and forth between being run by undergrads and being run by the grad students. Um, but we wanted to do something that was specifically student writing, uh, and we wanted to handbind all of the copies because you know, we were a book arts club or you know, that was kind of, that was kind of our thing. Um, so, you know, we went through the whole process of putting out an open call for submissions, reviewing the submissions, you know, like editing them, um, or I guess maybe more curating than editing them, uh, doing all the layout, doing the, all the design, which I, I feel like I had a strong hand in they may have been kind of my first real big foray like my first real big project of that it worked to work on um and then 
you know, like we, we, I f think we got them printed by a, a uh, an outside company, um, but we bound them ourselves. We did all of the, um, they were all hardcover. They were, they wound up being a hardcover Coptic stitch. Um, I think it was like eight, seven or eight signatures um, per book. Um, but it turned into a sort of a massive project. And at one of the stages when we were, when we started doing the binding, um, the book arts teacher put out a call to the sort of general uh, arts community, like anyone that had taken a, uh, anyone that she knew that had sort of an interest in, in book arts um, or anyone that had taken a workshop with her at UB that was on, on her mailing list. And, um, we had, I want to say like four or five binding sessions where we would spend, you know, like four or five hours in the bookmaking studio just working on these books. And one of the people that showed up um, wound up being a, wound up becoming a very, very good friend of mine. Um, her name's Maria. She's a local artist. She does really, really amazing visual art. Um, and is just a, a really wonderful rad person kind of all around um but we got to talking um and you know just kind of shooting the breeze about ourselves and you know like just what you do in, in early friendships where you're just kind of getting to know someone and it turned out she was doing uh had started taking aerial classes um at a converted church in baltimore down in pigtown called mob the mob town ballroom um and if anyone is local to Baltimore, um, you may know it more through the swing dances, swing dancing classes and, and dances that, that, uh, happen there throughout the week. Um, although it seems like the, the aerial community has kind of taken a, a has, uh, staked a bigger claim maybe in, in the, uh, has made its presence known maybe a little bit more so in, in the Baltimore community as of late. Um, but, she had been taking classes and at the time I was really looking for something, um, some sort of physical activity to try to reconnect with my body or maybe connect with it for the first time. Uh, because I was trying to undo some of the lingering internal I don't know if you want to call it psychic or mental or emotional or spiritual, whatever uh, gunk that had been left over from my uh, it, my stint, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, as a Christian. Um, so I know that not all uh, not all versions of Christianity teach this particular thing and I, d I don't know if, if this was ever a thing that I was necessarily taught or just sort of what I internalized but the idea that um, the body is the vessel for the soul and the soul is the thing that makes a person a person that's where you know that's where all of the specialness or uniqueness that each person is 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 contained and the body is just sort of the container for it um, and as such Growing up, and then when I was when I really got into Christianity and sort of devoted the vast majority of my life to it, um, I really internalized the idea that the body is is um, 
you know, like an ancillary thing. Or, at best, it's sort of an ancillary, you know, it's like your mech suit, essentially. Um, or, at worst, is the home and the, uh, I don't know, the, the breeding ground of sin and, and temptation and, um, you know, I, I had a very, um, probably unhealthy, I mean, not, not, uh, not thought about or explored critically really at all, it, it, uh, relationship with sex and masturbation and sort of that avenue into my, into my body or that aspect of, of my body. Um, so for the vast majority of my life, I really didn't think about my body as in the terms of this is an integral part of me. Um, it was sort of more or less like this is a meat prison that I am, I'm sort of just tethered to. Um, I also, I think for the majority of my life, um, have had uh, body image issues. Um, when I was younger, they were a lot more overt and I think a lot more, uh, a lot more damaging, but I, I, so as I, as I grew up, um, and you know, hit puberty and stuff. So growing, when I was a kid, I was uh, fairly husky. I was also, um, largely sedentary. I like watching a lot of TV. I didn't like being outside and getting super sweaty. Um, so I would sit for a huge chunks of time. Um, and I was, you know, I was a large kid. <coughs> when I hit puberty, that changed a bit. Um, but you know, like I've always had a bit of a, like a bit of a stomach. Um, and I've never been, I've never had a ton of, I guess there was like, there was one summer after I hit puberty, um, that I felt like I was sort of like on top of the, the physicality spectrum. Um, and since then I've had sort of varying, I don't know, varying degrees of feeling like I'm, you know, where I, where I fall in, in that, in that range. Um, but regard, so all of, all of this to say that I, I was seeking something or some activity that I could do to try to, to like center myself in my body or, or try to, um, I don't know, like feel like it was a part of me or just explore what it, what it meant to be in a, in a like incarnate in a physical body. And, um, I had sort of two choices that I felt like were very strong contenders. Um, I had taken martial arts when I was younger and then when I was an undergrad, um, and I was a big, big fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, and I found a place in Baltimore uh, pretty shortly after I moved here uh, that taught uh, Baguazan, which I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing 100% accurately, but it is essentially um, a style of martial arts that airbending uh, in the Avatar universe is modeled uh, very, very heavily after. It's, it's um, deals a lot with like circle motion and circle walking and, and sort of um, using that, the rotation of yourself and your body and sort of the, that motion to, uh, to power movements. Um, I also found a Hapkido class, um, or I found a school that taught Hapkido, uh, which 
interest me because it's it's sort of a um, at least the way the description that I saw it's sort of like a, a catch-all style of martial arts um, so I was interested in those things but you know I had done uh, martial arts for a while and I kind of knew I knew what that was about um, and right before I became friends with Maria um, there was a uh, my partner at the time um, had expressed interest um, in it so I was doing some research trying to help her find some classes in New York um, I got a chance to see um, Dralian? I think it was Dralian. It was one of the, the Cirque performances come, that came through Baltimore and I, I got a ticket and was just sort of generally amazed by what those performers can do because it's um, borderline asinine the things that they can they can make their bodies do or allow their bodies to do i don't i don't know what what verb is the <laughs> is the is the correct intention there but um so when maria told me that she was taking aerial classes and then there was a place in baltimore that was relatively close to my my apartment uh that piqued my interest because it had been aerial had been on my radar for a while um and since I had already done martial arts for years and years and years, um, it was more or less a toss-up. But it was the um, the aerial side of the coin was very, more heavily weighted just because it was new and you know it's just something I'd I'd never thought to experience. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. What the hell? Um, and yeah, <laughs> since that first class. Um, I don't think that there has been... So we typically do... We have sessions that last anywhere between like six to eight weeks. <coughs> depending upon the class and depending upon um, sort of like what other things are going around, going on. Like if there's a showcase or, you know, if we're, if we're bumping up against um, major holidays. Um, but I don't... I think since November-ish of 2013, there has not been a session that I have not taken at least one class uh, which is just amazing to, to think like that level of consistent consistency um, but uh, aerial in and of itself um, if no one has ever attempted to take a class uh, I'm speaking specifically about silks I have never done really another apparatus um, I can get into that maybe probably another episode um, but bottom line is most other apparatuses involve some degree of, of spin and I'm not super great with spinning around in a circle quickly or even slowly. Um, so I have largely stuck with silks. Um, but for those who have, who have not taken silks classes or even those who have, um, it it might come as a surprise that the learning curve for silks is pretty flat for a long time. Um, it is going into it to it, going into classes and expecting uh, lots of big displays of progression um, is a a view and an attitude that will be adjusted very, very, very quickly. Uh, because by and large, you're probably not going to see uh, a lot of uh, a lot of big moments of progression for a long time. Uh, and the reason for that is 
at least as far as I, I've at least as far as I personally have experienced it, and I've, what I've um, been able to glean just from talking to other people about it, um, is that doing silks requires your body to operate and function uh, with a degree of endurance, strength, and coordination that I think most people don't possess and it well don't possess in this this very sort of specific way um in the uh one of the instructors at mob town and one of the classes that i was in sort of described it as and this is an analogy that always stuck with me is that like learning silks uh is like being in an orchestra and not only trying to learn a song or like the song that the orchestra is playing, but also the instrument that you were playing the song on. Um, so it, there will be moments of small progression um, where you recognize, or you, you will experience moments of like, oh, I can hold a tuck now because my core is a little bit stronger. Or, hey, I can, I can hang on the silks a little bit longer and my arms didn't get burnt out because... I'm not death gripping or I'm figuring out, oh, I need to engage my lats instead of just the muscles in my forearm. Um, and it, it really requires a lot of like, so I imagine that most people will go into it being um, strong or competent in, in certain ways, but not in other ways. And as you progress, in silks, right? Is the lo the longer you take classes, um, the skills that you have, or the the areas that you are not super strong, you don't have a lot of endurance, will very slowly begin to um, they'll slowly grow as you gain, you know, strength and endurance. Um, and I think, by and large, just the sort of body awareness of, oh, this is a muscle I have never flexed in my entire life, and I need to flex it pretty or I need to engage it pretty continuously while I'm doing this you know particular climb or when I'm holding on to the fabrics in this particular way um, so very very slowly you'll get the sort of like areas where your deficit will be will start to grow or start to to strengthen um, and then that you'll kind of reach a moment where like two or you know maybe one or two of them are at sort of the same level and then you realize like oh I need to use both of these sort of in concert with each other in order to do this thing because your body is probably has been probably compensating for the fact you know like the areas that you're strong have been overcompensating for the areas that you're weak and as the areas that are that you're weak get get stronger the areas that you're strong you realize like oh i've been doing this technique is not great or this is this is not really the way that i should be doing this i should be doing it more like this is this is the actual proper technique um and so things will sort of even out a little bit and you might feel like you're, you know, like you can, you can do this thing and that's great. And then the next time you come to class, you're like, oh shit, I don't know if I can do this thing anymore because in order to do it correctly, or at least in a way that won't lead uh, to you injuring yourself needlessly, um, you know, you have to take maybe, or it feels like you're taking a step back despite the fact that you're actually continuing to take step forward, steps forward. Um, and that process sort of is cyclical. It will repeat, you know, or with other areas of of just body coordination, and even that, it's, you you will gain 
the awareness like, oh, I have to, I have to engage this and this and also keep my legs straight. And I can do two of these things, but now I can do, right? First I could do one and then I could do two of those things together. Now I can do all three of these things together. And by being able to do all three of these things together, I then can maybe move on to this other thing that I can add this extra thing, or now I can do this for longer. And by doing it for longer, it means that I can do more on the silks because I'm not as tired as I was before. So it all sort of like, it builds up, you have all these sort of independent parts that are that are building up and slowly you're, you're gaining connection between all of them. And then finally, at some point, everything will be sort of at the same, relatively the same level and you will all it will all be able to move as a unit or like everything will be able to move together um and i feel like most most of the people that i've talked to that have stuck with silks have that moment it, you know it would be just one day in class that it just suddenly something like your body feels different or your body feels like it understands something um i imagine that you probably have this experience when learning a new language that it's like you have all these different parts and you're struggling to kind of keep everything together and then there's one day that you can hear somebody speaking that language or you you know if you're watching a, a tv show or a movie and there's this moment of like oh of like comp like total comprehension like oh shit i understood that i feel like there's a comparable sensation or a comparable moment in silks uh in the learning of silks where there is a, a sort of body comprehension and you get it and once you get it and once your body sort of gets it the uh the progression begins to grow at a pretty steady steady and steep rate where now that it's like now that you have the awareness and now that you know what your body needs to do and now that you're strong enough and you have the endurance enough to do these things it really like that's the moment that you see you begin to see very big showings of progression. Um, but it can be really, really frustrating uh, getting to that point. Um, if, if you're... Uh, if your approach is not... Uh, I guess maybe your placement or your... Um, I don't know what word I'm looking for here. Like I said, this is all, <laughs> it's all extemporaneous. Um, maybe your perception um, and your, your position to what you deem as progress. If you come into it thinking that you're going to get big, big, uh, you're going to have lots of big moments of progress, uh, you will probably wind up being discouraged very, very quickly. Um, and the only the only thing I can offer, uh, I guess, is an, an, an encouragement of that is change, shift your perception, and try to try to see those small moments, and then see uh, how those small moments link together, so that you know, like, oh, in a month, you might be able to climb. Like you might be able to climb after starting out, and like, if you can if you can see that like climbing one climb up off of off of the mat or off of the floor. Uh, might not seem like a, a big thing, but if you can if you can break all of those components out and sort of see the, the 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 progressions and the sort of connect the dots between all of those all of the things that you've had to go through and all the things that have to be working together correctly in order for you to do that, that's a pretty big thing. And then you know, like 
it may not seem like you're that high, but being able to do one climb, pretty soon you're going to be able to do two or three or four. And now suddenly you're up in the air and you can, there's a whole host of opportunities and moves and techniques that open up now that you're, you know, you're airbound, I guess, uh, suspended. You've levitated a little bit on the silks. <coughs> um, yeah, so it's... It will become... I think if you can shift, shift your perception or your perspective on, on what it means to make progress, it can still be very rewarding. Um, and you can set maybe those, those goals for yourself. Um, but... I, it's a really, really enjoyable experience for me now. Um, and I think even when I started out, it was, it was enjoyable. Um, I, I may have been, I may have been when I started out, when I started taking silks, uh, I may have been a little bit better positioned than some other people uh, in order to kind of begin to, to, to see those, those bigger moments of progress. Um, because I had been rock climbing, uh, not a ton, but pretty regularly when I was an undergrad right before I moved to Baltimore. Um, so I had some of the grip strength endurance, um, and I had a little bit, a tiny bit of the, the sort of uh, body coordination, or at least the awareness that I like multiple things needed to be firing or engaged at the same time. Um, and I, I think I might have some degree of like kinesthetic learning but um it still took me a while to get comfortable doing stuff or to feel confident doing any of any of the stuff that i do i mean there's still some moves that i'm you know like i don't enjoy being up super high um i know that i'm not going to fall out of shit or you know i'm not going to just jettison myself off of the off of the silks but there's you know there's there's still things that i'm like yeah i don't i don't know i don't know about that um, but anyway, um, it's been a, it has been a really, really wonderful experience to, to do a thing that requires, um, like muscle memory and kinesthetic, uh, skill and training and you know like dedication that you're not you're not if there's a thing that you're struggling with like some move or some technique you're not just going to be better at it you know just by not doing anything it's like you if there's a thing you're struggling with the only way that you're not going to continue struggling with it is if you just do it a bunch and then you just get better at doing it and then your body is like oh okay i understand how to do this and then you just have to drill that into your body just knowing then how to do a thing and not have to think about and not have to stress out like, okay, well, I'm now on the silks and I have to open my legs and catch the fabric and use the momentum of my legs opening up to key myself over and make sure that my, then I squeeze my thigh and I, I roll my hips into the fabric so I don't roll out. Like the more you do a hip key, the more that you just, your body just knows how to do a hip key. Um, and you can start getting dialing in this, the 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 finer points of technique, um, and the finer points of like this is what your body's actually doing at each one of these stages, and they all you know you can kind of 
there, there are certain moves that you can kind of cheat yourself into if you're using momentum or whatever, but, you know, like, there is also, you can take the step back and do them painfully slowly and with everything engaged and just to make sure that your body knows, like, oh, yeah, this is, these are all the things that need to be firing now in order to get myself into this, into this position. Um, but I, um, I really, really enjoy having a, having a thing to work at in that way. Um, and I've been rock climbing, um, I guess it's been maybe a year or so since I started rock climbing again, uh, with any degree of regularity. Um, and there's a similar experience that I have with rock, with rock climbing that there is a, um, there is a certain degree of skill and a certain degree of just sort of muscle memory and practice and, and dedication that you like, you have to spend the time doing the thing. Um, and especially doing the thing with your body is a, is a really sort of wonderful, um, I don't know, it feels almost like meditation. I, I can understand uh, yoga as a, as a meditative practice in, in that way, or, or at least in that regard of, of, you know, consciously being in a space in your body, being aware of the things that you were doing, um, and putting intention into your actions and sort of, um, for some degree or another, like kind of emptying yourself into the action that you're doing so that, there's, it's just like, you are this, you were, you were the movement. Um, and I have been, uh, long, very long. I've been envious of people who can, who can do that for a long, long time. And I, I feel like I'm sort of on the, on the periphery of it, or I've, I've had moments where I, I can sort of, um, I guess really like be aware of, but not self-conscious about my body. It's like to just, to just do a thing. Um, and to have moments of sort of reveling in the fact that I can do a thing. Um, and that's been, I think one of the, one of the, one of the really personally wonderful things about doing aerial and rock climbing, um, is that like, there are some degrees of being more comfortable in my body. Um, I mean, there's definitely, I, I feel more connected to it and I feel like I'm like my body is really part of me that it, it doesn't, I don't feel like anymore. Like I am some pilot of a mech suit. It feels like I'm maybe not a hundred percent integrated between internal and external, but I'm a hell of a lot more integrated than I, than I was. Um, and as my, uh, I guess my understanding of like fitness and body health shifts too, um, that, you know, you don't have to have a six pack to be in shape. Um, cause like there are certain things that I can do on silks or even in rock climbing, but I'm, I'm only bringing it up because it uses similar muscles and it's a similar type of like body awareness and body coordination. Um, but there's certain things that I can do in silks that like I wouldn't be able to do unless I had a really fucking strong core. And, you know, like I had the muscles or the, the strength in the areas of my body that were prerequisites to doing these things. Um, 
despite the fact that I still, you know, I still got a little bit of a pudge around my stomach. You know, my butt doesn't look great. Um, my thighs kind of jiggle, but there's a there's a degree or a level of just because my body may look like it does doesn't mean that it's not strong or not healthy. I'm not not by any means saying that I, I couldn't be healthier or you know I, I probably could stand to lose a few pounds, but there is a sort of there is a sort of baseline I don't know if it's shame or I don't know what the right adjective or um, feeling that I had about my body, but just sort of like a, a general like dislike of or disgust or just a borderline just like I like ugh, fuck it that has always kind of been there I think for me um and the longer that I do aerial and the longer that I I do you know like physical things that I enjoy doing um and the the more and more that I have visible proof of the fact that you know like I can do some things to varying degrees of impressive, but I would say that's like, I can do some sometimes kind of impressive stuff with my body. Um, that, that baseline level of just sort of, ugh, maybe revulsion, maybe that's a good, a, the right sort of, uh, uh, linguistic energy of just sort of like, ugh, that baseline has, um, or that the voice that accompanies that baseline has, has grown quieter and quieter and quieter. Um, and I, I mean, I, I still experience it. Like I, I tend to wear, uh, baggier things or a little less form fitting things because I'm still not a big fan of, uh, maybe from like solo plexus to pelvis area, like up, up above that, down below that range. I'm cool. I'm whatever. But right there in the middle, I'm still not super happy with it. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I have a greater understanding and a greater recognition of, or maybe even just awareness of that. Those are some, those are hangups that are my own. Those are really deeply seated hangups that I have that, you know, like, cause in general, like who, who cares? really honestly like who gives a shit outside of you know it's like the people that i i deeply care about and i appreciate and i value their opinions of probably don't even think that way about me or wouldn't even notice that you know i have pudge it's like that is a a total that is 100 percent a thing that i notice about myself that i fixate on that by and large nobody else really probably notices or if they do notice they don't care so you know why should i um, and it's, I'm, I'm grateful that I can say that and at least in some, to some degree, believe it. Uh, and it's, it's been a slow slog of getting more of me to really sort of really learn and, uh, get that, um, but I mean, there's also, again, like if there is a way that I want my body to look, there are steps that I can take to 
towards that. Um, and I, you know, I know that I'm still largely sedentary. I know that I, I tend to occasionally not eat the best. Um, so I feel like there's, at least for me personally, I feel like there's sort of a balance between, you know, like being healthy to the you know, a balance between being healthy and being unhealthy, um, being in the shape that I want to be in to do the things that I want to do, uh, without, tremendous amounts of discomfort or pain or injury versus the sort of arbitrary wanting my body to function or look the way that I want it, that I may perceive is the ideal an idealized way. Um, but also <coughs> the balance of, you know, when I go to Whole Foods, I tend to get cookies because they make real fucking good cookies. I went there earlier today for lunch and I had a cookie on the way home and there's one on my counter that's staring at me that I'll probably eat once I finish this podcast. So, you know, the level of like, or fucking ice cream. I can, I can go to town on a pint of ice cream. I've started getting ones that has, that have less sugar and less uh, calories, but still, you know, like eating a pint of ice cream in one sitting is maybe not the healthiest, <laughs> the healthiest thing uh, if you want a uh, slimmer waist, but it's a thing that I enjoy. Um, and, you know, like, I'm willing to, I'm willing to, to compromise in some of those moments of, like, I really just want to eat a fucking pint of chocolate ice cream. I think we're going to do it. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, I, I know that this, I feel like this is part of a, of a much larger conversation of, you know, like, societal pressures or societal or cultural perceptions of what, being fit and what being healthy means and like what bodies look like that are fit and healthy um and what bodies that are you know like fucking ripped but you know like that muscle is not it's like it's show muscle it's not functional muscle um because you know like bodies that have functional muscle look way different um to a degree i mean there's some rock climbers that I've seen that are fucking like, whew. I don't think that any, <laughs> I don't think any amount of uh, anything that I could do other than a massive drastic, a drastic and massive change of my lifestyle uh, could result in a body that looks like that. But, you know, again, like if I can do the things that I want to do with minimal amounts of discomfort or uh, pain or injury, like what what do I really care is like is if my body can function the way that I want it to and I'm I don't I'm not putting any any extra strain on it, like what the fuck do I care what it looks like um like who am I trying to impress honestly like who the fuck am I trying to impress um anyway that was a tangent but um it's it's been a very very rewarding experience to be in class for as, as long as I had there when I um the first couple of years that I was taking it, I was sort of moving up with a um, a cohort, for lack of a better term. Uh, it was a group of people that I started taking classes with kind of around the same time, and we all moved up sort of, started as beginners, and we went to like beginner two, and then intermediate, and then intermediate two, and then we were advanced class, and then we were just sort of in the advanced class for a while. Um, and I got to a point where I was feeling, I felt like I had reached a plateau 
um, and I felt like I had reached a point where I was leaving more classes discouraged than not, which is not a thing that um, I wanted to continue to have happen, um, you know, like while I was engaged in a hobby that the primary reason that I did it is because I enjoyed doing it. Um, so fortunately around that time there was an, a, a class that opened up, um, I think the actual name is Skills, Drills, and Transition Transitions. Um, but I've always shorthanded it to just skills and drills. Um, that was a class um, that was, the purpose of the class was to take the sort of foundation, foundational moves and foundational positions that most aerialists have after maybe the, you know, like once you get into kind of intermediate territory, you know, you have like a, there's a, a huge number of moves and things that you know how to do on the silks. Um, and this class was, how do you get from point A to point B? And really just exploring like fabric theory, which is a thing that I never really thought about, but now is a thing that I deeply, deeply enjoy thinking about and, and messing around with of, you know, like you have the silks wrapped around your body in this particular way. And you want to get into this other thing where these silks are wrapped around your body in this other way, how do you do it? Like, how do you make that transition from point A? How do you, how do you make the transition from move A to move B? And it's been really, really rewarding. I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to say that a whole lot of like throughout learning silks, there was a, a major kinesthetic, um, aspect to it, which I, I love, which is, you know, I think I've brought this up before in the podcast that bookmaking feels like the sort of kinesthetic counterpart to, uh, my poetry writing because with poetry, like there's no physical skill that is associated with writing poetry other than just being able to, at least for me, like write neatly enough that I can decipher it later. Um, it's all internal and it feels in that way maybe like less real, less permanent, less, uh, like has less of an actual manifestation in the world because it is such an internal thing until it is printed. But like bookmaking is a skill, you know, it's like, it requires a, a, has required me putting in a fair amount of time to make sure that I know how to do things in the correct way. And then I have enough dexterity and like muscle memory and understanding of how paper works to do it. Um, and I, I felt sort of the opposite way with, uh, with fabrics that for a long, long time, it was primarily the, um, the physical skill and not so much of the internal sort of non-manifestable, uh, stuff, but taking skills and drills, I feel like that's, that to me has been the balance of learning like fabric theory and, and learning pathways and learning just sort of like, oh, there's all these if you're in a hip key, there's all these fucking things you can do next, or, you know, all these different things can lead you into a hip key, which then can lead you into this next thing, which can lead you back in a hip key. And it's like, you, you begin to, my, my awareness sort of grew. It started as sort of general body awareness and general, like, oh, these are the things I can do with my body on the silks. And then beginning to learn fabrics, beginning to learn fabric theory, I had sort of a, that awareness grew externally and also exponentially of 
these are then, you know, like you, you're sort of at the center of a web and these are all of the pathways and all of these like different flowchart ways that you can get from kind of like you can start anywhere and you can, if you know enough theory and know enough how the silks operate when they're around you and like the, like the mechanics of them, you know, like why this thing is wrapped around your leg and how the pathway that it, that it follows and how to get it to be this other pathway, you can really kind of wind up anywhere. Um, and it's, it's been, it feels like when I was uh, taking uh, my favorite two semesters of uh, history class when I was an undergrad that I, I, in that year, I felt like my powers of synthesis uh, were never stronger. Like the, the teacher taught the class um, as the only way that you can, that you can understand like a moment in, in history is if you understand like the context and sort of what led up to it. So it was a constant, you know, like this is what was happening in Russia. But the reason that this was happening in Russia was because this was happening in Europe and this was happening in Asia and this was happening in the United States. And the reason that it, those things were happening there becomes these other things and all this, you know, like this pressure. And it's like you begin, you just, you're, you're, um, I guess like the iris continues to grow open, like open and open and open. And you just see more and more and more. And I have, I feel that way with the skills and drills class that I'm like my, my understanding and my perception is, is growing and growing and growing. And I keep gaining these, these little nodes of like, oh, this new thing that we learned, it's really, if you take, if you take the base components, it's a, I don't know, like a same side knee hook with an extra wrap. But because I know that it's the same side knee hook with an extra wrap, I can, you know, move the fabric this way and sit up and recatch it and do this other thing that I can wind up in this position. And that position leads to this really interesting drop or this rollout. And, you know, it's like, you can just, you can just build and build and build and build. And it was, it felt like it was getting to the point that I was gaining so much information. And I was, I was gaining all of these interesting and kind of unique pathways to do things, but not, I didn't have a manifestation for them other than just doing the sequences that we were doing in class. Um, and then and then, and then, and then, uh, I was listening to uh, the wonderful podcast uh, hosted by uh, Griffin and Rachel McElroy, who um, are two of my favorite people, and Wonderful is one of my hands-down favorite podcasts. Um, I'm going to put definitely put a link to it in the description, and if you've not checked it out, I 100% recommend it. Um, but uh, for one of their uh, one of their wonderful things that they bring to the podcast every week. Uh, one of Griffin's was the band Wednesday Campanella, which is a Japanese like alt pop band. Maybe they're like electronica pop dance. Pop, I don't know. They're weird. They're I, I greatly enjoy the band now, but when I get, first got into them, I was like, Oh, this is, this is some interesting. I mean, it's, it's weird Japanese, like electro pop dance music. Um, so take that as you will. Um, but once he brought them up and I, you know, he played a snippet of one of their songs and I sort of, you know, I found this, I found a, the, the full version of that song online and encountered more and more of their music. Um, I wound up, I think there was an afternoon or an evening that I just, you know, like I found as many of the albums as I could find and I either bought them or downloaded them. Um, and I put them, as I do with most of the new music that I encounter, you know, like I made space for them on my iPod. 
and just brought them into the greater shuffle. Um, and there was one morning where I was driving to work and I didn't feel like listening to NPR. So I had my, my iPod on, on shuffle and one of their songs came on. Uh, it was, I don't know if it's churches featuring Wednesday Campanella or Wednesday Campanella featuring churches. I think it's churches featuring Wednesday Campanella, but the name of the song is out of my head. And it came on my iPod. And as soon as I started, as soon as the song started, I began, um, I began seeing visions of a routine to that song, like movements and motion, like a sequence began just sort of, it just began, it just popped into existence in my head. Um, and I had a interesting moment of like, oh shit, I'm, I'm going to have to do another performance. Um, cause I had previously done back in 2016, I, I did a, uh, actually a duo routine with, uh, Maria, um, which is really fun. And I enjoyed, you know, like working with her. And, um, so at, at Mobtown, um, there are two types of student showcases. Uh, one is usually around the holidays. It's a group showcase, um, or a showcase that each performance is groups of students. And it is choreographed by uh, one of two instructors. And then the other student showcase is mostly um, solo and small groups, like duos, trios. Um, and each performance is choreographed by the student doing the performance. So for the first showcase that I did with Maria, uh, we choreographed our duo routine. Um, and this was, I don't know, like three years into doing silks and, you know, like it was, I feel like it was a pretty solid routine. Um, it felt, I mean, looking back on it, the things that I can remember about it, it felt pretty simple until we got to the, the duo part, which was, uh, felt intricate to us, but I'm sure that going back and watching a video would be, uh, again, relatively, uh, seemingly at least for as for an aerialist, I, you know, relatively simple things. Um, so when I heard this, when I heard out of my head and just immediately had the beginnings of a routine pop into my mind, I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to perform this, which was a nice sort of coinciding of having an avenue to, to sort of try out all these things I was, I was learning in skills and drills. Um, so the, the, the immediate next showcase after uh the routine started uh popped into my head and whenever i would hear the song again i would i would get more and more of it um was a group showcase and i was like eh, fuck groups so i had to wait until uh this past october for the next um well this the student showcase class started in october and the performance was this past february um about, yeah, actually about a month ago. Um, so, you know, like I had to wait maybe a year, maybe a little bit more than a year while this song was just sort of percolating. The song and the, the, the uh, sort of bones of this routine was populating in my head. And um, 
then October 2019 rolled around and I got into showcase class and began the sort of uh, laborious process of making what I heard in my head a reality. And um, recognizing that there was a lot that I had in my head that needed to that I needed to sort of cut away from the routine, but also moments of like, oh shit, I actually have to figure out what to do because <coughs> I had from the intro to my first drop, and then there was nothing, and then I had I guess it was essentially like the first verse I had, the first chorus I didn't have, second verse I had second chorus and like the bridge I didn't have and then the last verse to the like the outro I had so there are these two moments kind of right in the middle I was like I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna do um which is a very different experience than the last time that I did the showcase where we had the music first and then totally had to, to figure out what we were doing throughout like in the duration of the class and this time, like I mentioned, like I had the song, I had the moments of my routine, and it was just sort of like two mo two nebulous things that I need to figure out. Uh, and it took me until maybe uh, December, end of December, to really kind of hone in on what it is that I wanted to do. Uh, and then I had January and a little bit of February to, to like polish it, which was his own unique experience um but it was you know it was weird that like the first time that i did the performance in 2016 uh i was fairly nervous just because it was the first time i i have done performances before but they've been theater and doing a performance where you're physically at the end of it you will be physically exhausted after you know like four minutes, five minutes was an entirely new, new thing for me. So I was, I was fairly nervous, uh, for the first showcase and this showcase, like I wasn't really at all of the most anxiety and the most nerves that I, I experienced was trying to figure out what the hell my costume was going to be. Um, and I, I really do think that in large part, I was not nervous because I had sat with the song and the, 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 routine for such a long time that it, it wasn't a um, it felt like there was a some inevitability that's like this routine was going to happen this performance was going to happen and you know, there, there's there's no question of of that of of it going and it happening and it being good it's just a matter of like what do I need to do to, to get there Similar, I had experience like when I, uh, you know, I graduated from college. It's like there was no question that that was going to happen. It's just, you know, like what what are the steps getting from point A to point B to, to do this thing? Not to say that I wasn't, I mean, I don't know. I felt prob probably a little more uh, personally proud uh, or felt maybe I had maybe feel like I had a little more personal agency uh, over uh, and the pride that comes with that having completed the two performances of this routine versus graduating college, but that's, <laughs> that's probably a discussion that should be unpacked at another time. But, um, it was, it was a lot of hard work, but I really, really enjoyed getting there. And it was, it was really, 
it was really wonderful to have in those uh, sort of like weekly progress reports or sort of weekly goals that I needed to hit. And there were, you know, definitely moments of struggling with probably some seasonal affective disorder and like, you know, sicknesses and just being tired and like not, uh, not being a hundred percent all of the time. But I think despite that, uh, I, I think the performance turned out pretty fucking well. Um, and I will, uh, post a video of it. Um, I'm not sure... I'm not sure where the best place to host it would be, but there will be a link to a video of my performance in the description of this episode. Um, because, um, well, and I guess this... So, in general, um, it was a really rewarding and very... Very fulfilling experience to, to do this performance. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to do another one. Um, I, I don't really take aerial classes and I don't do this to perform. Similarly with rock climbing, you know, it's like I'm never, I'm, I doubt I will ever compete. It's just, it's a thing that I really enjoy doing and I enjoy sort of amassing the, the, the body awareness and strength and coordination and the knowledge that I get from it just kind of for its own sake. Um, but it, it was really, it was really wonderful to have an avenue or a platform to really kind of showcase, like, this is the shit that I've been learning. Um, and I, you know, like writing a poetry manuscript feels similar. It's like, there's this avenue, there's this proper place, or there's this, um, correct format for, to showcase all of the things that you have learned and the, the gains that you have made um, in, in doing a thing. And the, the performance, this past performance for me, definitely felt like that, 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 that this was the, the correct space to really kind of show off what, what I'd been learning. And it, it, I'm, uh, there's a, you know, not a small amount of pride uh, that I felt in knowing that it's like, there are some pathways through things that I, I don't, I don't tend to watch a whole lot of aerial performances, but I at least feel like there are pathways in doing things um, and getting to moves that I did that I've never really seen before. Um, and there were, in some of the other performance, some of the other Silks performances, there were, you know, like the same, um, the same move, some of the same moves, but I, it's, it's neat for me to think about that, like how I got there, like what I did before and what I did after that thing. Um, you know, it's possibly that no one has, has done that in a routine before. I mean, I, I honestly don't know, but it's, there's a, there's a little bit of gratification to think that like what I did, or at least the routine itself from start to finish was a wholly unique thing. Um, and it's, it feels more real in a way. It, it feels more real, but more ephemeral. Um, or more impermanent than the poetry that I write um, in that, you know, the poetry exists in me and I can write it out and then and it can be published as a book and then it has a sort of its own longevity. Um, but it still feels like it's like there's 
because there's not so much of a of my body into it it feels like there's it's divorced in in a degree from from me um versus this routine that like it was me in my body doing this thing and it like i i you know mostly most of the time with my poetry when i'm um when i I might sit with it for a while, but then when I write it, it's sort of like out of me. It's it's done. It's it's been you know like excised or it's been put into sort of its container, and it's out of me. Versus this routine that because I physically existed with it for such a long time, like it's part of my body now. It's it's part of of me. Like there are pathways that have been laid in my brain and laid in my muscles that that exit the routine exists in me in in a in a physical way um and i know that you know like maybe a year or two later if i were to if i were to start doing some of the moves or if i were to hear the song again it's like i could tell you i could tell you what the routine was um but aside from all the times that i've i did it in practice um you know it exists in the world in a way designed for others to consume in two moments of time. And if you weren't there, I mean, there are, there's videos and photos of it too, but if you weren't there for those experiences, for those two performances, if you weren't in that audience, you didn't, you, you missed that experience. Um, kind of like a play. It's like, if you weren't in the audience for that particular night of a play, like it existed for one night despite the fact that I might be running for a month, like that particular incarnation of that particular play existed for that one night and that's it. Um, which is a really weird thing to think about that, that, that it can have its own internal longevity and external impermanence. And yet there's another, like my other main art form that I do can have an external longevity and an internal permanence. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm grateful that I that I can exist with both of those, and that I it, they feel like they balance each other out in a in a way that I appreciate, and in a way that feels like it it leads me to a certain degree of equilibrium, um, which I'm a big big fan of. Like that's kind of my one of my uh, one of my driving things is to is to be consistently at a state of equilibrium like internally and externally and um i don't know if i've done such a great job at that recently but uh it is a thing that i strive towards um but interestingly enough um throughout the process of putting this routine together i did not record myself once um, there are a lot of people, a lot of friends of mine that were in class that would constantly record themselves and like review it and watch what they, um, to you know, like see how things looked or to see, you know, whatever, um, to have some, some like extra critiquing that they can do for themselves. And that is a thing that I, I really, really resisted. I mean, it, it wasn't even, I guess at first it wasn't even a thing that I even thought about doing. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more that like it came up. Um, cause some of my friends asked in class, you know, it's like if I recorded myself and I was like, no, not really. And they're like, Whoa, Whoa really? Um, it got me thinking about it and 
I'm. I think that there are a couple of reasons. I think that there are more reasons than the, than the handful that I've I've picked out, and it definitely requires some like deeper contemplation on my part. But um, I feel like on the one hand, there was a level of like, at least in the beginning, I wasn't really concerned with like how I looked doing the motions. I was more concerned with that these are the things like figuring out what needed to be there and not so much like what I look like doing the thing. Um, because at that stage, I mean, I guess it's similar to if you're, if you're editing a thing, if it's an early, early draft, you're not really concerned about line edits or grammatical uh, correctness. It's like organization or, um, explanation of a thing or cohesion you know it's like there's sort of bigger bigger aspects of of this thing that you're looking at um so for me it was more important to like these i need these moves here and i need to figure out you know what's first what's second what's third what am i doing in these in these nebulous spots um and then only after i got everything sort of put into place what I really have begun to even think about, like, this is what my body is doing. Um, which, had I had another week or two, I probably would have recorded myself just to see, so I could begin to sort of nitpick that stuff. Because I, I know that, had I recorded myself at an earlier stage, um, I, I probably would have focused more on the visual body nitpicky things and not so much on the cohesion of, of stuff or like the putting moves together to tell kind of the story that I, that I was trying to tell or to evoke the experience that I was trying to evoke. Um, but I also know that I probably would not have ever actually recorded myself because uh, there was a big part of me that didn't really want to see what I looked like. Uh, and I think that it was a fear of seeing myself looking the the fear of seeing myself and the possibility of me looking stupid or looking bad because there is a I am not by any stretch of imagination a professional aerial performer. So there's I guess some degrees of slack that I can cut myself or some amount of slack I can cut myself, but there is a way that there's a way that I, I felt I wanted this to look in my mind, sort of an ideal version of, of this performance. And I think I knew somewhere in t internally that unless I practice this really, really extensively, um, there's really no way that I could get to that. What I, what I saw in my head in like four months, um, uh, November, December, January. Yeah, four or five months. Um, so I wouldn't want to see myself because I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to really acknowledge. It's like if I if I never saw myself, then I wouldn't have to actually acknowledge that, and it could just be this possibility and not the reality. Um, which I realized is a similar. Um, a similar tendency that I exhibit, uh, or I at least exhibited when I wrote papers in undergrad, that 
like I there was a, a massive reluctance on my part to go back and sort of reread what I wrote because I didn't want to be proven correct because there was always this this sort of fear that it was dumb or it was bad despite the fact that I got fairly good grades on essays but there's always this internal <clears throat> fear of oh this is dumb or this is bad and by going back and rereading it I would acknowledge um, or it would become a reality that I would be uh, insurmountable for me. Um, similarly, with this podcast, um, to a degree, I, th I think that there are different reasons. I mean, and this is kind of where the editing comes in. That um, one of the things that I'm I'm really sort of uh, enamored with, or, or one of the things that I, I try to pursue is uh, authenticity, and since the conceit of this podcast is to have uh, to record something that <coughs> is as close to what it would be like for someone listening in on a conversation that I have with somebody about poetry. Uh, there is a reluctance on my part to do a lot of editing and you know, like chopping things out or. Um, even going back and trying to, you know, take out my coughs or my ums. Uh, part of that is, I mean, I'm telling myself that it's for authenticity's sake. <coughs> part of it is I record these things usually the day they go up and it would take a long time to, you know, these are, fuck, this is almost an hour and a half long. Uh, we didn't want to talk this long, but, you know, like I would have to spend an hour and a half um, going back and re-listening to this thing to cut things out. Um, and, but it's also part of it is I don't want to go back and re-listen to the podcast because I feel like I would have a tendency to want to, if there was a part that I didn't like or a part that I felt like could be better, my reaction would not be, oh, let me learn what I did this time and try to not do it next time. My reaction would be, oh, I should just re-record this because I can do it better. And I feel like I would get trapped in a cycle of, well, I can do this better, I can do this better. Because there's a lot of times um, when I'm doing solo episodes that you know I'll start seven, eight, or nine times trying to get into an episode. And I mean, this morning, or not this morning, uh, right before I started this podcast, I'd gotten maybe five or six minutes into it, and then there was a motorcycle that came by, and it was real loud. And so I, I stopped the recording and then, you know, erased what I had and just started again. Um, and I feel like that, uh, that impulse would be really, really, really difficult to quiet if I were to go back and re-listen to stuff. But, I mean, it's also, like, laziness. Like I said, it's like, I don't, I don't, when I, you know, I've already spent an hour, <laughs> an hour and a half talking this into existence. Like, I don't want to spend another hour and a half going back and re-listening to it and cleaning things up. Um, which, you know, like, again, it might be to the detriment of the podcast itself. Um, I, I really, I don't know. I mean, but it's also, but again, it's also that this is, for better or worse, this is what it's like to have a, <laughs> to have a conversation with me or just listen to me talk. Um, and 
you know, like, I don't know how far the, the change should I, is it a, ch a change that I need to make for myself? Is it a, a, just a thing that to just accept and just put out there and like, this is what it is. If you don't want to listen, I'm sorry. Um, but I, I feel like that tendency exists with the physical stuff too. And I know that it is tied to the sort of underlying revulsion that I have about my body. Um, I'm not exactly sure how, but I, when, I, when I think about viewing a recording of myself doing my routine and the sort of feelings of the underlying feelings of revulsion that I have about my body, they feel like at least in part that they are those two feelings are sit in kind of the same place inside of me, um, which will, you know, that will also needs to require some deeper contemplation on my part to kind of figure that out. But, um, for right now, that's, that's kind of the way that it is. Um, cause I have not, um, I've seen, I've watched snippets of my routine, but I have not actually gone back and rewatched it, uh, complete, like from start to finish. Same with my first, showcase routine like I have not gone back and rewatched the video that someone took of that and sent me um, because like I know that other people witnessed it and saw it and, and accepted it the way that it is and it's I don't know if, if I could separate re-watching re it or watching it I guess you know like I don't know if I could if I could experience watching it or seeing myself do this thing and and not have a tidal wave of all this extra shit just sort of like crash on my brain um, and fuck up with my insides. So as I want to do, uh, I am avoiding it for the, <laughs> for the time being. Um, which, you know, is not ideally the best behavior. Um, and I know that I, I tend to lean on avoidance of things rather than sort of dealing with stuff, but... Hmm. I don't know if I would have connected that to avoidance had it not been... See, you know, like this moment of just this insight or the, the, the realization of, oh, shit, that, yeah, that's probably avoidance, and I, you know, that's not, that's not great for me uh, because I don't, I don't want to feed into that uh, behavior because I know myself enough to know that I tend to do that and it's not great. Um, but all of that being said, um, I'm, and maybe, maybe this is the other, another, or maybe not the other, but an other aspect of this, that the performance, like the showcase class for me, the, the, the fact that I was in, I took classes, or I was, you know, I, I did this performance. Um, the performance itself felt like Lanyap. Like, it wasn't the, at least for me, the, the goal of being in the show, showcase class with the end, res, the end result of performing this, my routine, was not to perform the routine, but to get it out of me. Or to just to have a space that I could sort of put this thing into, or maybe even just a reason to to figure out what this routine to this song 
needed to be. Because um, I, I tend to not, I tend to not dance. Um, I don't really engage with music in that way. Um, music for me is a much more sort of internal thing, um, or it's a thing that I want to go play. Like I don't, I'm not, I'm not usually. I'm not usually physically moved by music. And this particular song physically moved me, or the, the response that I had to it was incredibly physical. And the, res the physical response that I had was the routine that, that popped into my head. And I really wanted to have the ability and have the experience of figuring out and sort of bringing into the world what my physical response to the song looked like. Like I wanted to have the opportunity to figure that out and have a reason to, to, to bring it into existence. Cause I know that were it not for the, the showcase class or not for the performance, it would have just existed in my head as this sort of half finished thing that whenever I thought about would probably have filled me with a small sadness and false, false, small frustration that I'd never done anything with it. But to be in a class with the sole purpose of, or the, the end result of a performance, I had to get this thing out. And I wanted to get this thing out. I, I wanted to really, to see what it was that this music made me want to do. Um, yeah, I, for lack of, I guess, better grammatical structuring. Um, so once I figured it out, once once I had the routine and I knew like this is it, this is a maybe not entirely what I what I had in my head, but this is this is the best expression on my part of what this music makes me feel and what it makes my body want to do. That was it. Like that would have been enough for me. And then the you know doing the performance was just this extra thing that I did. So in that regard, seeing a recording of it, um, it doesn't really matter. Like there is a uh, for our our performance day, there is an opportunity to have your uh, your performance like professionally recorded, and I declined that because having an having a uh, I guess an existing artifact or visual artifact of the performance doesn't didn't really matter to me because the performance itself wasn't my end goal it was just sort of it's like this extra nice thing that i get to do it's like i get to show i don't know like 100 people maybe over 100 people yeah i don't know maybe not that much maybe like 70 whoever however many people can fit into the mop town ballroom twice um you know i i had the opportunity to share with them this thing that i made but if I had never actually performed, I think I would have been okay with it because for me, it was like I needed to have a reason to get to to finish this thing or to 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 live in the expression that this music made me want to have or this what the expression that this music made me have. Um, and I did it. And that was it. Like that, that was the process of, of, of uncovering and figuring out and sort of distilling down these, these, these bodily movements and these, this physicality to this music. That was enough, honestly, that would have been enough for me. Um, 
so I, I don't know. I guess like having a having a visual record or having a, a record of the very end of the process isn't as important to me as maybe having having cataloged the entire process. Because um, it, I don't know, like it means so much more to me having lived through it and having worked for five months to to bring this thing into existence and to give it physical form and to, to really to exist with it for all intents and purposes purposes for five fucking months. Um, then to have, you know, these two moments of like almost four minutes of just, or maybe almost five minutes of just doing this thing for, for other people. It's like, they might be able to, to guess or might have some sense of the work that went into this thing. But, you know, it's like in for me, unless you have the the whole back story of it, I don't know. Like it feels incomplete. Maybe I, I was gonna say less, but it, it it I think it's more that it just it feels like it's an incomplete thing. It's like you're you're I don't know. It's like you see you see the ring, but you don't see what went into make the ring, um, and that's like. I would be much more interested in, and I feel like there's, I, I don't know, it's like I hold the value of the process of the creation of the thing uh, in as high of, if not more of regard than I do the the, the end result of the thing. Um, but, which is weirdly, it's like, I don't, I don't know if, if I feel that way about poetry. I feel like for me, the poem sort of is like, I'm working towards the poem and so all of that, all of the stuff that goes into writing the poem is sort of secondary to the expression of the poem itself, which feels totally inverse than what I feel with with music and well, at least with with doing a routine or coming up with a routine to this particular bit of music. Um, which I mean, I guess again is the sort of equilibrium state. Um, but yeah, so I just. I really honestly just wanted to talk about it because um, it's it's been stuff I've been thinking about for like a year and then five months, <laughs> like two or three weeks. Um, but uh, yeah, if anyone has the opportunity to take a silks class, um, I would recommend it. It's It can be a lot of fun if this is your kind of your idea of fun. Um, I will say that it's the most enjoyable uh, core workout that you will probably ever get. Um, but um, yeah, I think that's really kind of all I, I all I wanted to say. I'm sure that there will be things that I I wanted to I will I'm sure that I will realize there are th more things that I wanted to say after the fact. But I've already been talking for an hour and a half, which is way longer than I thought this episode would go. Uh, so, like I said, I'm gonna figure out where to post a clip of not a clip, but I, a, a video of my routine. Um, and just because I really fucking enjoy the song and enjoy the little bit of, uh, editing I, I did to the song to add some like extra stuff to it. Um, I'm going to close out with the song that I performed to. Um, so if y'all enjoy it, check out, uh, churches and Wednesday Campanella. I'll put links to them in my description too. Uh, and I don't know. I'm really terrible with figuring out ways to, <laughs> to sign off for my episodes. But um, go, I don't know, go 
go try to connect with your body. Go go be in your body for a bit and just try to just try to be in it. Um, try to try to just have try try to do a thing in which do an action or an activity in which you empty yourself completely into that into that thing or that activity and just see what it's like see what it feels like to to just to not exist so much up in the head or like outside of the body metaphysically speaking try to just sit sit in it sit in yourself meet your body ask ask uh ask it how it's doing and I will talk to y'all next time.